Well, I invite you to pull out your message notes to follow along with today. We're in a four-part series called Breaking the Rules. And, and what does that mean? Well, we're in a world today that is, is, is creating new norms. You know, culturally, we've got these new norms and things are now socially acceptable and, and we're changing the rules. And I think as people of God, we need to start breaking some of the rules of what culture is saying is right and wrong. Because what they're saying doesn't work. It's not just that it's different from what God says. The problem is it doesn't work at all. People are frustrated. People are empty. We have an all-time high epidemic of seven and eight-year-olds dealing with clinical depression. I mean, how many know it's not working? What the world is offering doesn't work. So I'm not challenging you to buy into God's way because it's different and we want to be on a soapbox and we want to have the right way. No, I'm challenging you to buy into it because I want you to experience life and peace. And I know if you continue to buy into what the world is offering, you're going to end up frustrated, you're going to end up empty, and you're going to get the same results that they're getting and nobody's happy out there. So we set up the foundation last week for this series. And what we're going to do the next three weeks is cover three main areas. There's really three main issues with society today. And all of our problems fall into one of those three categories. And what I want to show you is there's three distinct spirits or little g gods behind each of those areas. We want to expose them, their strategy, and then give you an ancient principle to combat it, to bring you to a place where you can find rest for your soul and life and peace. So we're going to jump back into the book of Corinthians. That's what we started with last week. It's kind of the foundation for this series. And just to explain this book to you, uh, the book of Corinthians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote the church of Corinth. Paul's job was to plant churches. So he traveled around the, the, the uh, Near East and the Middle East of that, that time 2,000 years ago, and he would plant these churches, and then he would stay in contact with the churches through these letters that he would write. And these letters are what we call Paul's epistles, and they make up the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. And the church of Corinth is particularly relevant to those of us that live in modern day America because there's a lot of similarities between the city of Corinth and, and the culture of America today. For example, it was morally corrupt. It, there was so much sexual perversion and idolatry. Corinth was famous for it. It's where the, the famous temple of Aphrodite was, where they used to worship this, this deity, this goddess with temple prostitution and just all different forms of sexual perversion going on in this ancient city. They were also financially prosperous, very much like America today. We're a very wealthy nation compared to most nations in the world, and they were very wealthy in in this day and age in Corinth. And then the last area that reminds me a lot of America is they were intellectually arrogant incredibly arrogant. It was where all the schools of thought from Plato and Socrates and all the kind of the center of academia and and all the top scholars and the wise people of the age all kind of kind of revolved around Corinth and they just thought they knew better. Like we know better. We're smart. We're we're progressive. We know more than we've ever known. And and what began to happen is that the culture began to influence the church. And people in the church, people who, who had surrendered their life to Christ to serve Christ, began to buy into culture's philosophy. So Paul would write these letters to kind of address that and kind of fight against that. And so he starts off this, this, this letter in Corinthians saying, you think you know a better way? You, you, you think your way is smarter? Let me just tell you, God's way is the best. And he says in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And let me just say you that, that that's true. I mean, to, to all your friends that have never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, they think you're a fool. I'm just going to tell you now. They think you're simple-minded. They, they think you're an idiot. They, they're like, they're like that, that is so dumb. That's nonsense. It's, it's foolishness. Christianity is just a crutch. It, it's old. It's outdated. It's, it's archaic. But Paul goes on to say, but to us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. You know, what they're calling simple-minded, what they're calling foolish, actually saved my life. It actually saved my marriage. It it turned me around. And then Paul says, for it is written, and now he starts to quote Isaiah 29, when, when God was speaking to the nation of Israel, it says, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And that's what we see happening in the world today. God's simply saying, listen, if the world doesn't buy into my way of doing things, don't worry about it. They're gonna discover it doesn't work. 
they're going to end up frustrated. They're going to follow their intelligence and what they think is right. And this is the new, this is the modern way. And this is the progressive way. And we're going to redefine everything. Let's redefine marriage and let's redefine the family and let's redefine all these things. God's saying, don't worry about it. They're going to discover it doesn't work. They're going to end up frustrated. They're going to end up empty. And that's exactly what's happening in our society today. People are just, we have more emotional issues as a nation than we've ever had. Why? People are frustrated. The, the, the intelligence of, this, of these intelligent people of our age is being frustrated. God's saying, so don't worry. And, and then God goes on to say in kind of a teasing way, he says, so where's the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I mean, where's the guy that thought he had all the answers? You know, where's the guy that said, this is the way to do it. This is the new modern way. This is, this is what's right now. That's, that's culturally offensive and that's outdated. This is the new, where are they at? Because people are hurting today. People are empty today. People, people are just broken today. And he goes on to say in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Basically, the dumbest thought God ever had is a million times more brilliant than the smartest thought we ever had. That's basically what Paul is trying to communicate. But here's the problem. On the surface, it doesn't look like it works. That's the problem. On the surface, it looks outdated. It looks archaic. It looks ancient. It looks culturally offensive. On the surface, it looks counterproductive and counterintuitive to buy into God's way of doing it. But my challenge to you is test it. Test the world's way versus God's way. And you'll discover what works. Because here's the problem. Right now in America, the statistics are no different in the church than in the world. Like by and large, we have the same divorce rate in Christianity that the world has. Why? Because we're doing it the world's way. We're buying into culture's philosophy of how things should be done. We're not, we're not following God's way anymore. We're buying into culture. And as a result, the statistics are the same in Christianity as in most parts of the world. We're getting the same results. So what I'm doing today is I'm putting you at an intersection. You now have a choice to make. Whether you like it or not, you showed up, you're here, you're now going to face an intersection. And the intersection is, am I going to buy into God's way of doing it? Or am I going to buy into the world's way of doing it? You're now at those crossroads. So let me first kind of set this message up and give you kind of the big three, the the issues of our culture, the issues of our society, the spirit that's behind all of them. Again, next week, uh, let 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 me again give the disclaimer. If your children are fifth grade and under, next week is a great week for them to check out Coastline Kids Children's Ministry because the entire message next week is on sex. Now, if they're sixth grade and up, it will totally be appropriate for them in every way. There'll be nothing inappropriate. We're going to settle the score because because the world's lying to us in the area of sex. The the world is, and people are ending up broken and hurting, and we're going to settle the score, and we're going to challenge them to purity. I mean, you look at television today, 90% of sex scenes on television today happen outside of marriage. What are they trying to teach us? What are they trying to communicate? And and, and the thing is, it's not working. I mean, we've bought into this lie of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and it's simply not true. What happens in Vegas goes home with you. It goes home in emotional scars and physical scars and all sorts of pain and heartache. And so, so, so we're going to settle the score next week. So if they're sixth grade and up, they need to be on the front row. I guarantee they know more than you think they know. And they need to hear what I'm going to say. And it'll be totally appropriate for them. And then the last week, we're going to deal with the spirit of mammon, uh, which is well alive and at play today. It's the spirit over finances and money. And if, you, and if you need any proof, look at our government today. I mean, look at the way they're handling money. Look at, look at, look at our national debt. We have bought into this, this, this spirit of mammon that is literally leading us down to a path of financial destruction. So we've got these big three issues that we have to deal with in our culture. Each of them have a spirit behind it. Our goal is to break the spirit and discover life and peace. So let me set it up. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14. It says, do not follow other gods. And the reason it says this is because there's a lot of choices out there. There are a lot of little G gods in our culture today. There, there are a lot of these little G gods that people are leaving the one true God and worshiping these little G gods in our culture today. It says the gods of the peoples around you, basically the culture that we live in. 
There, there are a lot of little g gods in the culture that we live in. Don't worship them. Don't follow them. Don't buy into to, to them because it'll lead you down to emptiness and frustration. It says, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. He wants you all to himself. And let me tell you why, because he loves you. He, he, he invented you, so wouldn't it make sense that the inventor would know best how to use the invention? I mean, I mean, the inventor, since he made you, he knows how best to get the best out of you. And so he's jealous for you because he doesn't want you frustrated. He doesn't want you broken. He doesn't want you hurting. He wants to love you, and he knows if you'll follow his way, if you'll buy into his philosophy for your life, it'll lead you to life and peace. So he goes on to say in Deuteronomy 11, be careful. And this is my warning to you today. Be careful. Please be careful. Be careful. Because this is what's happening. Or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And that's what's exactly happening right now. And by and large, with a lot of Christians today, is we're being enticed by the culture, by the gods of our culture. And we're bowing down and we're worshiping the gods of the culture. And I'm going to show you some hard stuff through this series. And you're going to see yourself you know, have subtly fallen into worshiping some of the gods of the culture. And you may not even know it. You may not even know it. So let me review these three little g-gods in Scripture. If you've been following along in the one-year Bible, we just you know, went through First and Second Kings, and you saw these gods pop up again and again. It's like the, the nation of Israel, they'd forget all about God, they'd, they'd go worship these gods, and then come back to God, and then they'd go worship these gods, and then come back to God. And it was just like this back and forth throughout the book of Kings. So the first one is Baal. Baal. Baal is the god of power or pride. Literally translated is Lord or Master. Baal wants to be your Lord or your Master. He wants you to serve Him. Baal, all throughout the Old Testament. Judges 3, verse 7. The Israelites, this isn't in your notes, just listen to it. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight because they forgot the Lord their God and they served Baal. They forgot about God and they began to serve Baal. Baal manifests best in how we spend our time. That's how Baal is best manifested in how you spend your time. It's in your values, your priorities. How do you arrange your schedule and your day? I've never heard anybody on their deathbed say, you know, if I would have just spent more time at work. If I could have just got a couple more hours in at the office. I've never heard anyone say that. But yet so many of us are consumed with this workaholic, this success-driven achievement, and it's the spirit of Baal. The average father in America, here's the national statistics, the average father in America spends seven minutes a day with their children. Seven minutes a day with their kids. Four minutes a day in meaningful conversation with their wife. Three minutes a day, if they're a Christian, in prayer. Three minutes in prayer. And 8.6 hours at work. I mean, think about that. Seven minutes with your kids, four minutes with your wife, three minutes with your God, 8.6 hours at work. Is it working? I mean, is it working? That's the question. Because 62% of Americans self-identify as being burnt out. So obviously something isn't working. Why is that? It's God frustrating the wisdom of this age. God's saying, listen, I'm going to make the intelligence of the intelligent look foolish. It doesn't work. We have bought into this spirit of, of Baal, this pride, this achievement, this success, this, this workaholism. And the reason is pride because all workaholics have a, have a seed of pride inside of them. And here's what happens. When you're at work, you find yourself saying, I should really be at home right now. And then when you're at home, you find yourself saying, I should really be at work right now. And, and then you catch yourself saying this to people. You say things like, you know, I'm going to be there, but I'm going to be a couple minutes late. I'll, I'll be there. I just want you to know I'm going to be a couple minutes late. Or you say things like, I'll be there, but I, I just need you to know I'm going to have to leave early. I'll be there, but, but I'm going to be leaving early. If you find yourself saying those two things on a regular basis, you have subtly and subconsciously found yourself worshiping Baal. You, you have bought into this world's philosophy, this world's life, success and achievement, your way versus God's way. Here's the second one, Asherah. 
Asherah was, was the god of pleasure or lust. It was actually a, a female deity, a goddess. They worshipped her through temple prostitution. It's basically, don't follow your morals. Don't follow your values. Do what feels good. If it feels good, do it. Follow your senses. Follow your feelings. Follow your lust. The lust of the flesh. And then the last one is mammon. Mammon is the god of possessions or greed. And those are the three big issues we have in our society. Pride, lust, and greed. Everything we deal with today falls into one of those categories. Pride, lust, and greed. And they all have a spirit behind it. So, so, so let me show you now how often these things show up in the Bible. If we go back to the very first sin in the Bible, the Garden of Eden, uh, uh, the book of Genesis, Eve taking a bite of the fruit, that's the first time we see these show up. You ask, which one showed up? All three of them. All three of them. Because these three things are the root of everything. Look at this. Genesis chapter 3. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. There's greed. I want that. And, it, and its fruit looked delicious. There's lust. That's going to feel good. That's going to taste good. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. There's pride. I want to be powerful. I want to be wise. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some also to her husband. Look at this. The tree was beautiful. That's the spirit of mammon. Its fruit looked delicious. There's the spirit of Asherah. And she wanted the wisdom. There's the spirit of Baal. Shows up again when when Satan begins to tempt Jesus. How many times does Satan tempt Jesus? Three times. What temptations does Satan use? the same three. He only has three things in his playbook. I mean, he may change them up a little bit here and there, but he only has three plays in his playbook that you need to, you need to really guard yourself of. Look at this, Matthew chapter 4. During that time, the devil came to him, Jesus, and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. That's lust. Do what feels good. Forget about the fast. Forget about what you're doing. You're hungry. Do what feels good. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, jump off. Angels will catch you. You'll be exalted. People will worship you. There's pride. Pride. Verse 8, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said, I'll give it all to you. There's greed, he said, if you'll just kneel down and worship me. So again, stones to become loaves of bread. There's the spirit of Asherah. Jump off, there's the spirit of Baal, and I'll give it all to you. There's the, the spirit of mammon. In the book of First uh, John, John writes a letter, and John shows us the problems of the world we live in, basically what the world offers us. Guess how many things the world offers us? Three things. Three things. Look at this. Uh, John says in First John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. Again, this is what this series is about. Don't fall in love with this world. It's going to leave you frustrated. It's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you broken. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only, and again, here's the three things. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. There's lust. A craving for everything we see. There's greed and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So there you go. Craving for physical pleasure, the spirit of Asherah. Craving for everything we see, the spirit of mammon. Pride in our achievements, the spirit of Baal. So here's the question. What if these three spirits are still alive and at work in our culture today? What if they're still trying to, to, to attack the foundations of our culture and who we are? Our job is to break these spirits off our life. So how do we do it? We've got to stick with God's way. We've got to go back to the ancient way. Because here's the thing. Culture changes. God doesn't. And I'm tired of people saying the Bible needs to be updated to fit into our culture because it's now culturally offensive and, and that's outdated and that's archaic. Culture changes. God's timeless principles and truth doesn't change. So let's talk today about breaking the spirit of Baal. That's what I want to cover today. We're going to, we're going to learn how to break the spirit of Baal. And here's the verse that we began with last week. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. And today, every single one of you are standing at this crossroad. This is the intersection I'm putting you at today. You're at a crossroads. And the crossroads is, am I going to go God's way or am I going to go the world's way? Am I going to buy into the world's philosophy and the culture of the age we live in? Or am I going to buy into God's truth? 
It says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Go back to, go back to the ancient, the archaic ways. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and look at the result. You're going to find rest for your soul. See, again, it's not just that God's way is different than the world's way. It's that the world's way doesn't work and God's way is going to help you find rest for your soul because we got a lot of people today dealing with anxiety and stress and depression and there's absolutely no rest for their soul because they've bought into the world's way and the world's philosophy and the world's, world's culture instead of buying into the ancient path that God wants to take us on. So let me, so, so the, the great thing about God is he gives us an ancient principle to break every one of these spirits. And so what I want to do today is, is, is I want to give you the ancient principle to break the spirit of Baal. But first you need to understand what each spirit is trying to do. Again, Asherah is all about how you use your body, your flesh, your lust. Mammon is all about how you use your money. So what Baal, how, how does Baal manifest in our life? Again, it's how you spend your time. It's how you use your time. Your time determines your priorities in life. And we are so driven by achievement, by power. We've submitted ourselves to these crazy schedules where we're so busy and our families are are so splintered and torn apart because of busyness and craziness and workaholism and and just this this driven by by success and this this pride. So what's the ancient path that's going to bring us back to God's way? Here you go. In your notes, Keep the Sabbath day holy. Keep the Sabbath day holy. That's the ancient path that'll break the spirit of Baal in your life. If you can learn to keep the Sabbath day holy. And now some of you I know have no idea what that means. Well, the next part of this message, I'm going to clearly explain to you what that means. So you'll leave and know exactly what that means and how to do it practically in your life so that you can break the spirit of Baal. But the Sabbath, you know, people say, what is the Sabbath? Well, it's so important that it shows up in the Ten Commandments. That's how important this is. You know, remember that list that said things like don't murder, don't, don't, don't steal, don't lie. One of the Ten Commandments is keep the Sabbath day holy. Unfortunately, scores of pastors in America and church people in America have horribly violated this principle and do not understand it at all. And as a result, there's no rest. We've got pastors uh, having moral failures and leaving the ministry because they're stressed out, they're burnt out, because they're violating the principle of the Sabbath in their life. We've got business people, 62% of them again, uh, that, that's, they're, they're self-identifying as being burnt out. Why? Because we violated this principle. So I'm asking us as a church, let's go back to the principle of the Sabbath. Let's, let's learn the heart of God. Again, none of the Ten Commandments are to punish you or take the fun. God, God didn't say, thou shalt not murder so that you can't have any fun. I mean, God wasn't doing that. God's trying to protect you. He's trying to help you. All Ten Commandments are for your blessing, for your protection, for your fulfillment in life. Now, we don't live under them according to the law anymore, but they're principles that we should honor because they bring great blessing into our life. So look at this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The word holy just means set apart. It doesn't mean holier than thou. A lot of people think the word holy means I'm better than you or holier than thou. No, it just means set it apart. Make it special. Just treat it differently than than you treat the other six days of the week. Let let it be holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. Wait a second, pastor. I thought the Sabbath was about going to church. No, the Sabbath has nothing to do with church. It has nothing to do with church. Church is a great part of your Sabbath day, but the Sabbath doesn't have anything to do with church. The focus is on working. Well, Well, why is the focus on working? Because when you work, there's a spirit of pride that comes on you that says, I don't need God. I did all of this. I earned it. It's my brains. It's my talent. It's my effort. I did all of this myself. Sabbath teaches you, no, it's all from God. It's all from God. So what we do is we take one day a week and we prove that. We prove that it's all from God. Sabbath declares you're my source, not me. I'm going to take 24 hours every single week and declare you're the source of my life, not my hard work, not my effort, not my brains, not my ability. You're the source of my my life. goes on to say this includes you 
your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. There's God himself taking a Sabbath. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And I'll just tell you, for years I violated this principle. As a pastor, for years I violated the Sabbath. I didn't understand it. And it took a heavy toll on my life. It made me very vulnerable. It made me very weak. It made me prone to sin. It almost, it, it definitely damaged my marriage and had the potential to do much worse to my marriage, my relationship uh, with my son, because I just did not understand this principle. And let me just say, I, I think the Sabbath accumulates. You know how you, like, you, you, you know, your, your, your paid time off at work accumulates if you don't use it? I think the Sabbath accumulates, and I think sometimes some of us have, have to take forced Sabbaths You know, we wind up flat on our back, emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, sick because we haven't been taking care of ourselves, and it just kind of accumulated on us. And now we're out for two weeks, not not pleasantly out for two weeks, but out for two weeks because our body just overheated and we couldn't take anymore, and we're lying flat on our back. I would rather take my Sabbath than than have to take a forced Sabbath. You know, and, and, I, and I think you would, you would agree with me. And so Sabbath is such an important principle that we've got to learn in our life. And again, it's not about Sunday. Sa- Sunday may be your Sabbath day, but Sabbath doesn't mean Sunday. For me, Sunday's a work day. I mean, I'll just tell you, Lionel Richie could have never been a pastor because he would have never wrote easy like Sunday morning because Sunday morning's not easy for me. It, it's a work day for me. It, it, it may be your Sabbath, but for me, this is my work day. My Sabbath is Wednesday in the middle of the week when I'm refreshed, when I'm relaxed. Uh, and and I, do, I do what you do. I mean, I get out my computer and I watch other church services on my Sabbath just so I can get fed and I'll aim in the computer and I'll take notes and I'll listen to what, because what, I want to get fed on my Sabbath day. So, so going to church is is a great part of Sabbath, but going to church is not Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath is something completely different. And, and, and let me just say, some of you desperately need this. Some of you desperately, desperately need 62% of you statistics say need this truth in your life. And again, Jesus settled the fact that it's not a particular day when he said, listen, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. See, we get so hung up in what day is the Sabbath? Well, it's just, it's just 24 hours out of seven days. That's all it is. You know, Sabbath was created by God for your sake, not God didn't create you to honor the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath to bless you. There's a big difference. It, it was made for you. And when you learn this principle, you can break the spirit of Baal in your life. So let me, let me just, before we get into the practical points, let me just say, there are not many people in your life that love you as much as me. Uh, probably less than a handful of people in your life love you as much as I love you, that think about you as much as I think about you, that pray for you as much as I pray for you. So as somebody who really, really loves you, uh, let me just just say something to you. Slow down. Seriously, slow down, because you're killing yourself. You're killing your marriage. You're killing your relationship with your kids, and you need to slow down. You need to slow down. So let's talk about how do we Sabbath because this, this, this spirit of Baal, this pace of our society is killing us. Let me give you three things to learn how to Sabbath. First thing, number one, by ceasing. That's literally what Sabbath means is to cease. In, in Hebrew, Shabbat, to cease. Sabbath means, uh, Sabbath has nothing to do with, with going to church or godliness or being a spiritual person. It literally means to cease, to stop what you're doing. Stop working. Stop working and enjoy yourself. Have a day of refreshment. Now, let me explain this. You can work on your Sabbath, just not work for your career. There's a difference. You can come to church and serve on the dream team because those are things that actually energize you. If you talk to anyone on our dream team, they'll tell you serving on the dream team actually gives them life when they're here. They actually leave Sunday more full of life than the people who leave who just attended and heard a message. The dream team, is, so, so you can work, and, and I encourage you, man, go out in the garden, get your hands dirty. You know, if you work, if you work with your mind all week, week, go do something with your body on your Sabbath. If you work with your body all week, go do something with your mind on your Sabbath. It, th- that, that's what, it, it's, it, it's just to stop your career, stop your producing on that day. 
And in fact, Sabbath is not a day. It's actually a verb. It's something you do. Sabbath is a verb. It's cease, stop. And I know some people here would say, well, Sabbath, that, that, was, that was under the Old Testament. We're under grace now. We're, we're New Testament people. We, we, don't, we don't have to be under the law anymore. Well, thou shalt not murder was under the law, and we still, we still try to obey that one. Sabbath is not just an Old Testament principle. You also find it in the New Testament. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work. So if you want to enter God's rest, if you want rest for your soul, then you're going to have to learn to rest from your work. Because every time you work, you're declaring to God, your work is equal to his work. That's what you do every time you work. When you don't work... When you could work, you're saying, God, I'm only able to produce, to do, to be, to accomplish because you're the source. So it says, just as God did from his, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And again, this is an effort. This is not going to come natural. You're going to be on your Sabbath and you're going to get a phone call and you're going to convince yourself, if I don't answer that phone, I'm going to lose that business deal. You're going to have to make an effort to do this. It's not easy. You're going to be tempted to leave your Sabbath every time you get into it. You're going to have to work at this and make an effort. And it goes on to say, so that no one will perish by following their, who's the there? The there's the culture that we live in. It's the world today following their example of disobedience. What is their example of disobedience? This workaholism culture that we live in, that I've got to work seven days a week. I have to answer my phone seven days a week. I have to answer my work emails seven days a week. If I stop for 24 hours, my whole career, my whole business, and my whole life is going to fall apart. That's a spirit of pride. That means you're worshiping Baal. That's what that means. I know this is a hard message for some of you, But you need to recognize the seed of pride in your life. We should look different than the world. We should be different than the world. We should stop following their pattern of disobedience that leads to frustration, that leads to emptiness, that leads to exhaustion, that's killing us in our marriage and our family. I was reading a... a, a book from a Jewish author recently, amazing lady, and she was going through kind of the principles behind the Ten Commandments, and she listed out a number of things that Jewish people practice on the Sabbath, and I, and I pulled some of the things from that list today, and I want to share them with you today because I think they're great principles, and I think they really help us understand what Sabbath is all about, what it means to Shabbat, to cease uh, in our life. And again, this is her list, not mine, but look at this with me. Not working for wages, you know, take 24 hours where you're not doing work phone calls and work emails where you're not working for wages. Look at the second one, not competing for rewards. Ooh, that's a touchy one in North County. What does that mean? No competitive sports, no sports leagues. I mean, you go to the beach and play volleyball with your family or go play golf with your son, but this means not competing for reward. That's, that's your typical sports leagues, you know? And again, it's interesting. It's not my list, it's her list, but it's an interesting point. Look at the next one. Making time to relax and do nothing. There's a good one for a lot of us here in North County. Let's just relax. Let's just slow down a little bit. Uh, look at the next one. Reading and studying religious materials. Take some time on your Sabbath and get closer to God and, and fill yourself with, with, with things of God. Look at the next one. Playing with the family. Some of you need to go play with your family. You haven't done that in a long time. I mean, you haven't just gone out as a family and did something fun in a long time. Look at the next one taking leisurely strolls. We live in the most beautiful place in the world to do this one. I mean, you can go to the beach. You can go. Some of you need to grab your wife by the hand and take her on a walk. Get reconnected. Re, rekindle that flame. Look at the next one. Enjoying meals with friends and family. I mean, put out a Thanksgiving spread. Have a big dinner together. When it's all over, sit at the table for another hour and just enjoy each other's presence. I mean, most families today don't do this at all. Not even once a week anymore. When they do, it's rushed or it's like people are coming and going the whole dinner time and people just aren't enjoying each other as a family anymore. Look at this one. Talking with each other, not with your thumbs. I mean, literally with your mouth, face to face. I don't know if you know, but on these little things, they have this cool little button on the top. And if you hold that button down for long enough, if you hold it down for long enough, it'll power off. Some of you are looking at me right now. Come on, Pastor. If I do that, I'm going to have to get therapy. I can't live without that thing. I need that thing on all the time. I mean, 24 hours. I need to know what's going on. 
Some of us need to just power that thing off for 24 hours and learn to Sabbath. Here's the next one. Attending religious services. Again, church is a great thing to do on your Sabbath. It feeds you. That's what I do is I I go to church on my computer and watch other churches from their Sunday mornings, and it just feeds me. Uh, Prayer and meditation. That's a great thing to do on the Sabbath. And this last one, I'm just going to let you read it yourself. Come on now, somebody. I mean, isn't that good? I mean, you, you, don't, you, don't, don't you love the Jewish people now? I mean, they, 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 I, think, I think they got, again, it's her list, not mine, but I like it. I think it's right. I mean, come on, shalom, somebody. I mean, it's, uh, I'm trying to help your marriage. I mean, that thing will that'll turn things around. Somebody last night came up to me after the Saturday night service and said, are you saying only once a week? I said, no, 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 that's just the minimum. That's just the minimum. There you go. That, that, that message is for next week. But just, just imagine, what, what would our life look like if, if Sabbath wasn't just an hour at church, but if our life began to reflect that list for 24 hours a week? I mean, how differently would our families and our marriages and our life be if we really put the Sabbath into play in our life? It'd break the spirit of Baal, and you'd see blessing of God and rest for your soul come back in. Here's the second thing, and again, I'm going to need five extra minutes this weekend, but again, I just told you to slow down so you can give me the five extra minutes, (laughs) because this is worth it. This is for you. Second thing you need to do to understand Sabbath is is worship, by worshiping, worshiping. You need to worship on your Sabbath. You need to worship, and I'll I'll explain to you uh, why in a minute, but I, I know some of you are thinking, well, we already did that. No, no, no. Worshiping is not the song service in church. That That's not worshiping. That can lead you to worship, but guess what? There's a lot of people that come here every Sunday, sit in the song service, and never worship. Enjoying the music is not worship. Sitting through the music is not worship. It has the ability to lead you there, but worship is simply when you bow down to something greater than you. That's what real worship is. When you humble yourself, you bow down to to something that's greater than you. And here's the thing about work. As long as you're producing, you're not bowing down to anything. You're saying it's all me. I can't take 24 hours off. It's, It's all me. God needs me. If, if I shut my phone off for 24 hours, this whole company would fall apart. My business would fall apart. God needs me. I don't need God. He needs me. Or, or this thing is through. And that's pride. Worshiping says, I'm going to take a day. And for 24 hours, I'm just going to say all day long, God, you're great. God, you're the source of my life. You, it's, it's all for you, God. I'm going to take a day and do nothing, God, but just enjoy my family, enjoy my wife, enjoy you, because everything I have comes from you. And if you can't keep my business together while I honor your word, then I'm hopeless anyways. And that's what Sabbath is all about. I know I can do better in my career by honoring God than I can working that extra seven day, or working that seventh day. And if you need any proof that that this actually works financially, study the Chick-fil-A business model. I mean, it is the worst business model in corporate America. I mean, can you get any more ignorant? You mean you're going to take the busiest fast food day of the week off and you think you're going to compete in corporate America, yet Chick-fil-A is one of the most successful fast food companies in America, and they take 24 hours off as a company. I mean, it's just amazing. It works. This works. It'll work in your life true. But let me, let me give you a key truth to this. You can't rest by resting. There's a key truth here, and you need to catch this. You can't rest by resting. You can only rest when you connect to a powerful God and let him refresh you. Doing nothing isn't going to make you feel relaxed. Connecting to a powerful God, letting him refresh you. Letting him fill you. That's what makes you rested. When he touches your soul, you experience real rest. Look at this in Psalm chapter 92. I want to encourage you. When you're reading the Psalms, read, read, read the headings. Like, like it, it just kind of describes the frame of mind when they wrote it. Uh, it's all part of the original text. And they're pretty powerful. This says a psalm, a song to be sung on the Sabbath day. So this, this is a psalm for the Sabbath day. This describes kind of some of the principles of the Sabbath. Look at this, verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. See, worship should be a part of your Sabbath day. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening. Look at verse 10. But you have made me as strong as a wild ox. 
Look at the benefits of Sabbath. God's going to strengthen you. When you learn to take 24 hours off from your career, God's going to strengthen you. You have anointed my head with the finest oil. Talking about vitality and energy. Look at verse 14. Or verse 12, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. I mean, everyone else is tired and everyone else is exhausted and they're coming in dragging on Monday morning and you're showing up refreshed and relaxed and excited about the week. Why? Sabbath. Sabbath. Look at verse 14. Even in my old age, I'm still going to produce fruit and I'm going to remain vital and green. I'm going to have endurance into my old age. Do you want endurance into your old age? Do you, do you want vitality into your latter years? You're going to have to learn this principle of the Sabbath. And here's the last thing about the Sabbath that you need to understand. Is, it, it, Sabbath is by replenishing. You Sabbath by ceasing. You Sabbath by worshiping. And you Sabbath by replenishing. You find things that feed your soul. What feeds your soul? What nourishes your soul. I love Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, what does that statement mean? It simply means I'm buying into God's way. Remember, I I put you at an intersection at the beginning of this message. For you to say the Lord is my shepherd simply means I'm buying into God's way. I'm going to go God's way. He's not your shepherd if you're going the world's way. If you're buying into the world's philosophy, he's not your shepherd. You got to buy into his way. If you can't shut your work off for 24 hours a week, God's not your shepherd. I'm sorry to tell you that because I know that hurts some of you. And I know you, you want to claim how, how, you know, I'm a strong Christian. If you can't shut it down for 24 hours a week, he's not your shepherd. He's not. Because you, you're buying into the world's philosophy of work. You're buying in the world's philosophy of how things have to be done. If, if, if you want to make the statement, the Lord is my shepherd, you got to buy into his way. You got to do it his way. Again, Christianity is not easy. These are tough principles to do. But the results are unbelievable. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And, and, and look, look at what other things God's going to make you to do if you buy into his way. If he's your shepherd, it says he'll make me lie down in green pastures. He's going to make you lie down. I mean, 24 hours a week, lie down. Cease. Stop. He leads me beside quiet waters. And, and, and again, look at the result. He refreshes my soul. He's going to refresh your soul. When you begin to honor the Sabbath again and you begin to make it holy and you begin to set it apart and dedicate it to him, you're the one that's going to benefit. Because again, Jesus said, this is for you. God didn't make you to honor the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath to bless you. It's for you. Do this for your sake. You're the one that's going to have refreshing in your soul. You're the one that's going to have God come back into your business and career in an incredible way because, because you're honoring him. Sabbath needs to be about things that refresh your soul. And in closing, I just want to leave you with Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, and sometimes we read the Bible, we make it very general. Like Jesus said to everyone. Yeah, he did say to everyone, but I want you to hear this. He's saying to you today, to you you specifically sitting right there. He's talking to you right now. He's not talking to the person sitting next to you. He's not talking to your wife or your husband. He's talking to you right now. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And you know what? There's a lot of you today carrying some heavy burdens right now. I, I, I read the prayer cards every week and pray for you. I know there's some, some of you right now carrying some very heavy burdens in your life. And you're weary, you're tired, you're exhausted. You don't know if you can keep going. You're just, you feel like you've been pushed to the limit. You're just, you're exhausted. You're weary. And you're carrying this weight. Maybe it's, you know, you got some bad news from the doctor about your health. Maybe it's this financial pressure that's just crushing you right now. Maybe it's a relationship issue or a court or custody battle, whatever it is. But you're carrying a heavy burden right now. And you're weary and you're tired and you're hurting right now. And Jesus is saying to you, come to me, which simply means, again, buy into my way. Stop going culture's way. Stop following the world. It's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you frustrated. It's going to leave you broken. Follow me. Follow my path. Choose my way. Come to me. And again, look at the result. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you rest. My, my heart 
hurt so much for so many people in the church because I know some of you right now, the reason you're carrying that heavy burden isn't just because of life. Yeah, it's, it's because of life, but, but all of us have challenges. Some of you are still carrying that burden because you haven't surrendered every area. You haven't surrendered every area. You've given God maybe 90% of your life or maybe 80% of your life, but you haven't given him 100%. And you're frustrated because you're like, why isn't Christianity working for me? It's like, I'm showing up, I'm, I'm doing things. It's because there, there, there's, there's a little bit left that you haven't been willing to surrender. And, and if you could lay that little piece down, he's going to give you rest. He's going to say, let me carry that burden for you. I'll, I'll take it. But I can't take it unless you surrender. Because as long as you're holding on, I can't take it off of your shoulders. I can't help you with it until you let it go. And you're you're like, Jesus, take this burden, but you won't surrender to him, and he can't. So what does it really mean to surrender to Christ? It means 100%, all or nothing. You don't put your toe in the water and check it out and and, and get the benefits. you got to go all in. And what real surrender means is you give him permission to mess up your life because that's what he's going to do. I'm your pastor. I love you. But I'm telling you the truth right now. I think we have so soft, we've soft sold Jesus to our nation. And we've told people that he's this lottery ticket. He'll make everything better and your whole life will be better if you serve him. No, it's not. I mean, some of you, it's going to get a little worse if if you make a decision to surrender your life to him. I'm just being honest with you. Because he wants to mess some things up. He wants to rearrange some priorities in your life. He wants to rearrange some of your values. He, he wants to, to rearrange, you know, some of your habits. He wants to change some stuff that's going to be uncomfortable for you to let go of. But it's for your benefits because he wants to give you rest. Because he knows the way you're doing it is going to keep getting you down a path of frustration and emptiness. And he's saying, listen, if you'll just trust me and if you'll just let go and if you'll just surrender, I'm going to bring you to, 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 to still waters, to, to quiet places, to refreshing of your soul. That's his heart for you. But you're going to have to let go and surrender. And that's tough for us. We don't like to surrender. We don't want to let go. You know, I'll give God a little bit because I want to be a good person. And so church is good. So I'll go to church sometimes, but I really can't give God all of me. I mean, you're asking a lot, pastor. Yeah, but it's because he gave a lot. He gave a lot. He he paid for it. I mean, he paid for all of me. And so that's the least I can do for him. But again, what many of us are missing is the fact that if you'll just buy into that, it's going to bring you to a place of a refreshing of your soul like you've never experienced like you've never known it's going to bring you to a place of peace that you didn't even think was possible so this is for you today and so i'm going to give you a chance today if you need to make that decision to just surrender your life totally to jesus christ i'm going to give you an opportunity i'm not going to ask you to stand up today i'm not going to ask you to say anything out loud at all uh, I, I want you to pray a prayer in your heart. And let me just say, God's listening to your heart today. God can hear your heart, so he, so he can hear you. But what I want you to do is everyone just close your eyes for a moment out of respect for those that need to make this decision today. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm tired, I'm done. I, you know, I need rest for my soul. And if that means I've got to surrender completely to Jesus, I'm willing to do it today. I'm ready to take that step, lay it all down to him and ask him to be the Lord of my life. And the word Lord just means master and ruler. It means you're giving him charge. It means he becomes first place. He becomes the top priority. You you rearrange everything else in your life around him. That's that song, Jesus be the center. That's what this means. And he's going to give you rest for your soul. So with every eye closed, out of respect, if you want to just say a very simple prayer with me, you just pray it in your heart today. But it's just a prayer of surrender, of saying, okay, I'm done. I'm willing, I'm willing to trust you today. I mean, I, I'm a little scared. I don't even fully know what's going to happen, but I know what I'm doing isn't working. And I need to do something because I'm tired right now. And if that is totally surrendering my life to Jesus today, I'm ready to do it. So with every eye closed and nobody looking around, uh, if, if you want to pray with me, a very simple prayer, just slip up your hand and say, I'm going to join you this morning. Just slip up your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for those hands. I appreciate that. The prayer is simple. Just in your heart right now, just say, Jesus, I invite you to, to take control, to, to come in and take charge. Jesus, I, I offer, I surrender to you. Just in your own words, say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Second part of the prayer is say, Jesus, I change my mind about the way I'm living, and I ask that you forgive me for the areas I've missed it. Just say, Jesus, I changed my mind about the way I'm living, and I ask that you forgive me for the areas I've missed it. And he'll absolutely forgive you. He'll love to do it. And then the last part of the prayer is just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity today. Thank you for bringing me to a path that's going to lead me to life and peace and and a soul that's refreshed. Thank you. You can look up here for just one more minute. Uh, As we close today, let, let me just encourage you. If you prayed with me today, I want to I encourage you to do one more thing on your own. On your connection card, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you made either decision today, would you check one of those boxes, drop it off in one of the tithe and offering boxes as you leave? And here's the reason. You made the greatest decision you'll ever make today, and we want to pray for you. We want to send you an email that gives you the, the next steps of how to really walk this out. And really, the best thing you could do is in 10 minutes, join us in our family center for our 201 one class because our 201 class is all about what are what are just the four key habits of of being a Christian. We're like the four things I need to do. Because if you'll learn these four habits, you'll get everything else. So if you've never been to our 201 class, I want to encourage you to join us today at 201. We've got lunch taken care of and child care taken care of, and it's happening right after service. Lastly, if you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, cannot encourage you enough to take a copy of this book. It'll change your life. I cannot intellectually or logically explain to you how it works. All I can say is that when you ask God to help you read this, it literally breathes life inside of you. It'll literally breathe life inside of you because it's his word. It's his letter to us, and it is powerful. So if you don't have a copy of the Bible, take that with you. We stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this incredible ancient principle of Sabbath. Give us the courage to apply it and learn it so that we can find the rest for our soul and we can declare that you're the source of our life, not my hard work. We want, we want to honor you with our life and make it holy again uh, out of our love relationship with you. So bless us as we step out in faith because it is it is a, it is a walk of faith to shut it off for 24 hours it takes faith it, it's it's a challenge for our culture but let us stop following the 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 path of disobedience of workaholism that so many people in our culture follow and let us honor you and let you be the source of our career and our business in the name of jesus christ amen have a great weekend everybody